So uh, recently, uh, my husband and I, we took, we took a little road trip uh, to visit Gary's brother. Uh, he lives in St. Louis, Missouri now. And I'll give you a, a little bit of backstory here. So, so Gary's brother and, and much of his extended family have lived all over the United States, and mostly in large cities. So we've had the opportunity to visit a lot of great places, which with free lodging, which, you know, that's a pretty sweet gig. So when we were first married, uh, we visited family in places like Detroit and Chicago and Minneapolis. And then our trips took flight out to San Francisco and Orlando, and now more recently, St. Louis. But I noticed something on this last little adventure that we were on. As we got into busier traffic, I started to get more nervous as Gary was driving. And, you know, and I asked him something like, you know, like, what is wrong with me? Is this just because we haven't traveled as much in the last few years? And his wise response was, no, I think it's because this is unfamiliar territory. And we haven't figured out the lay of the land here yet. And, and he was right. You know, none of the roads were familiar. This was unfamiliar territory. Uh, all of the roads near their home were hilly and windy. Nothing ran straight north-south or east-west. Uh, this was a new adventure, and I was struggling because I had to get out my little Google Maps every time I left their house. And it, it made me feel insecure and unsure about leaving their house on my own. Well, today I would like to ask you to join me on a journey with a man named Abram. A man who went to a new country, a new people. And our text today, as you can see, comes from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 7. Uh, and I'm going to be leaning heavily on Scott Jose to better help us grasp this passage and what takes place within this text here. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 7. The Lord God said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I am going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. I'm not sure if, if I've shared this here before, uh, but one of the first books I read in seminary was entitled A Light to the Nations by Michael Goheen. And I can still vividly remember the first time I read a chapter from his book and how mesmerized I was by it. So there's a chapter in this book, it's about 50 pages long, and, and in it, Goheen takes the entire Bible and he puts it into this concise summary of, this is what the Bible is all about. And, and I had never seen someone take the Bible and break it down into just 50 pages 
of here is God's plan to redeem the world back to himself. And here is how he does that, through ordinary, broken, rebellious people. And ultimately through his one and only son, Jesus Christ. But the place where God's redeeming work begins starts right here, just 12 chapters into the Bible. Genesis 12, the calling of Abram. And within the 11 chapters before this, we know that sin has now entered the world with Adam and Eve. And then God sends a flood to cleanse and punish a world that had deviated hugely from his plans. But when the flood water is cleared, God realizes that a flood isn't going to do the trick in setting things to right again. I mean, as soon as Noah gets off that boat after the flood, the people are back at it again with drunkenness and all sorts of things. So we know, right, God hangs a rainbow in the sky to say, never again. Well, if the flood was a sign of God's grief over sin, God decides that from then on, his response would be not one of grief, but of grace. He would save his creation and his chosen people within it. So really, it's, it's Genesis 12 right here where the great story of salvation begins. And here we are in the middle of Mesopotamia, and a person we've never even heard of before appears out of nowhere in Genesis 12, verse 1. And basically, God's betting the farm on this guy right here. And, and Scott Jose points out something really important. He says, you know, sometimes in war, military strategists and generals, they'll talk about forming a beachhead. And a beachhead is when, when you take a little bit of ground so that eventually you can take all the ground. And that's sort of what's happening here. Israel is going to be God's beachhead. Israel will be God's starting point. This is the nation that will come from Abram's descendants eventually. So from, from that starting point, that will be the launching pad from which salvation is going to go out to the entire world. And ultimately, of course, we know from our vantage point that this is really going to come through our Savior, Jesus Christ. But in the meanwhile, the really other important thing is that, that this, this is a covenant relationship taking place. You don't see that so much here in Genesis 12, but other verses say, look, I'm, I'm going to make a bargain with you, Abram who eventually is going to get a name change to Abraham. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And a covenant involves two parties, and, and both sides have to be faithful for that to work. But God says, you know, this is how I'm going to do this, even though Abram and eventually every person after him are going to mess that up in some way. But it's all founded right there on that covenant, on that relationship that God founded first with Abraham, and later that would continue with Israel. Global salvation all starts through this man right here. And it begins with what must have been somewhat terrifying, because scholars tell us that in the ancient Near East, one big fear that people had was that they would die while they were away from home. Well, Abraham is now 75, and now God is saying, well, not only are you going to die away from home, you're never coming back to the only home you have ever known. You're going to hit the road. You're going to be a refugee, a wanderer, a homeless person for the rest of your life. 
And, and what a home it was. Uh, we learn actually a little bit earlier at the end of Genesis 11, a little, a little bit about Abram's family and his background. And we learn that he was from Ur. And archaeologists tell us a little bit about what Ur was like. Uh, it was in Mesopotamia. And, and it was the center of civilization, the world's oldest and greatest ancient civilization. civilization. And as far as we know, it was kind of the birthplace of human culture. So this would be for us like New York or London or Paris. Like this is where writing is first developed and where the arts were practiced, architecture, great buildings. And all of a sudden, God says, wait a minute, I want you to leave all of this. So Abram says, well, well where am I going? Well, you know, I'll, I'll show you when you get there. Can you imagine God asking you to leave everything, to follow him to a land of the unknown? Actually, I bet you can. We could think of that in some pretty common ways. You know, we're in the middle of the month of September, which is often the beginning of new things for many of us. Parents sending their kids off to a new school year, a new teacher with new rules to follow, new classmates to sit by. We kind of say goodbye to these lazy, hazy days of summer, and we embark upon the rhythms and the routines of our lives. But those first few weeks of school, it can be kind of hard. Things feel awkward. There's a lot of uncertainty, and, and we long to just get past that stage to the place where things feel comfortable, easy, understandable, good. We know who our friends are, we know how to get to each of our classes, we found our mojo, and life is in this healthy rhythm. I was recently talking to my nephew, and he was telling me that the hardest day of his life was when his family dropped him off at college and drove away. That's a hard moment. You know, we long for undisturbed contentment for things to stay the same, just leave things well enough alone. And we long for that here in the church too, undisturbed contentment. You know, when I first came to Rehoboth, I, I was asked to join a vision team, and they were quite a ways into the vision planning process. I'd never been a part of a vision team before, and I had no clue what to expect or even how to create a vision. And it was really tedious work. And I have to confess, it really wasn't my thing. But it was great for me to be a part of. To see a church asking really hard questions about who they were and praying through whom God was calling them to be. And then soon after that, my role was to help create vehicles to get us from our current place in ministry to the places where God said we needed to go. And that vision plan has been a really helpful tool all along the way. Why? Well, because it's really easy to get sidetracked from those blueprints that are set in place. I've come to deeply respect the work of the consistory here at Rehoboth and how they take in a lot of information. And, and at the end of the day, they ask big questions about God's covenantal plan for us as a church. You know, next month, coming up in October, it's our, our missions month. This blessed month that we have to focus on a bigger plan than just 
us here with our little dot on the planet, but instead on what God is doing all over the world. And when these people come to speak, we'll hear stories like Abram's, stories of people whom God kept nudging and tugging at until they relented and said, okay, Lord, take me, take my life and use me as a blessing to the nations. There is a theme, and it runs all the way through the Bible, and, and it really runs all the way to the birth of Jesus. And that is that God seemed to want his people, Israel, to identify with what he calls the alien within your gates, or the stranger within your gates. Israel was eventually told again and again and again by God, please, please be nice to strangers. Be nice to people who are foreigners, who are out of their own country. And the reason that God gives us is this. Remember, that's what happened to Abraham. That's how we all got started here. You know, we here, we, we are part of God's plan for redemption. Others will be blessed through us. And it's really important that we keep our minds fresh and growing to make life thrilling, to keep developing and expanding into larger life and larger usefulness. You and I must continually have before us some land of Canaan toward which we're traveling. We need to hear the call and then we need to heed it when life cries out to us. There's this wonderful phrase from the book of Deuteronomy. A wandering, Arame Arme sorry, a wandering Aramean was your father. And that is Abraham. He is this wandering pilgrim figure. It is so easy for us as human beings. You know, we're locked into our cultures. And most of us has this natural distrust or even fear or hatred for strangers. For the foreigner. The Greeks, they had a word for it. They called aliens xenos or xenoi, and it gives us our word xenophobia, the fear of strangers. And God is absolutely the reverse. You know, he wants us all to welcome the stranger. And remember, in a sense, that we, we too are all strangers. None of us has a place where we belong permanently. We're just passing through the world as resident aliens. And as the New Testament says, in the world, but not of the world. And those words go all the way back to Abraham. I don't know if you know this, but we're soon going to be joining a new denomination. And that denomination is going to be checking in with us every five years to see if we're growing. And if not, basically in a nutshell, they are saying to us, if a church your size can't grow, we don't know why you're here. You know, their mission is to reach people for Christ, just like we, ours is. It's a great fit, a great marriage for us to join the alliance. But this is about the Great Commission, and that's what they're telling us. And basically they said, you know, if that's not what it is for you and for your church, we would just encourage you to probably find a different denomination. If it's about focusing on you, this isn't the place for you. I actually asked Tim Vink from the Alliance about the words that I just said, and 
while he didn't say he disagreed with what I just said, uh, his, his reply was much more gentle and loving. And his version was this, you know, as Rehoboth Church, we're soon going to be joining the Alliance of Reformed Churches, which is a Christ-centered, mission-driven, Bible-based group of allies of Christ and his kingdom. It's about the Great Commission, and it's about joining other like-minded churches and leaders who are ready to further equip us for mission. And they're going to hold us accountable for sound doctrine and godly living and we want our church to be more gospel-saturated in the next five years before they check in with us on our progress. We want our ability to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples. And we want to be growing significantly through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, you're welcome to take Tim's version, which is much more grace-filled. I want to be grace-filled too. You know, I get it. Sometimes I ask myself, are, are we asking too much of the church? Are we going too far? Change is hard. Maybe we should just back off a bit. You know, not that long ago, uh, my mom, she had all of her kids and her grandkids at the same church. And I know she was deeply grateful for that. But that's changed for her. And I know sometimes she wishes her family could all go back to being a part of one church. But you know, she also sees the bigger picture in all of this. She didn't raise her kids to love Jesus so she could keep all her chicks under one roof. No. She did that because she understood the Great Commission and that our calling is to go. Go and make disciples. God called Abram when he was 75 years old. The time when we think of words like retirement and taking life at a slower pace, that's the time when God was just getting started with Abram and Sarai. And God didn't take his foot off the gas pedal, and it kind of makes me think he's calling us to follow suit. I can tell you that since starting here at Rehoboth, God has made my Canaan very clear. When I came on board, everything I was asked to do focused on three things. Purpose, mission, vision. Win people for Christ, equip them to serve. That is all I have known here. I can do nothing but. The Canaan's I have been asked to focus on are things like decorating, design, connecting, life groups, spiritual gift inventories, fellowship events. And there's a greater purpose in all of those things to point us as a congregation towards Canaan. And if our Canaan is no longer reaching people for Christ, I don't really have a purpose here. Without a vision plan, we just have 250 different voices telling us where we need to go. So it's imperative that we keep our eyes rock steady and laser pointed on our mission. And we need to have our eyes continually facing outside our doors with an openness to those out there. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, Jesus doesn't just really understand how hard that is, I'd encourage you to take a peek at John 1 when John says Jesus became the ultimate exile. He left his home in heaven. He left his home with the Trinity to come here so that each of us could get saved. I don't know what unfamiliar territory you are walking in right now. 
I can tell you a little bit of the new territory God has placed in my own life. This past summer, uh, it was new territory for Gary and I. Our youngest son got his driver's license in May. All of our kids were busy with summer jobs these last few months. And that left Gary and I with a lot of time to ourselves. And there's a lot of beauty in that, of course. Uh, But it's also unfamiliar territory. You know, we struggle to know what type of role to play in our kids' lives as they're getting older. And I sometimes want about all of our kids to come with their own manual. You know, here's what to do when your child turns 16. Here's how to send your kids to college. Here's how to let go. Here's where to hold on. I long for undisturbed contentment and to hold on just a little bit longer. In some ways, we all do. But God is calling us on our journey to the land of Canaan, to a place where we feel homeless and a refugee and a little bit uneasy. I don't really like it when God says, come and follow me, and doesn't tell me where we're going. Actually, it really ticks me off. I'm kind of like the kid in the backseat of the car who is constantly asking questions. How much longer? Are we there yet? I'm not sure that the end of this sermon is going to be what you want to hear, but I'm going to offer these words anyway. All of us long for undisturbed contentment. All of us. We are in unfamiliar territory. There's a lot of questions here right now about what's next. And in those moments when things feel unsteady, and we're lying in bed at night feeling anxious and worried and wondering, we need to remember this has been our calling as followers of Christ since the beginning of God's plan to redeem a sin-filled world back to himself. It's not supposed to feel too comfortable here. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. There's always going to be a homesick feeling for all of us here on earth. We should be feeling like we're homesick, homeless wanderers, just like Abraham. That's always how it's going to be, this side of heaven. This is not our promised land. That's yet to come. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Lord. There are so many times in life when we ask our why questions and what's next, Lord. We long for undisturbed contentment. Homeless wanderers, God. Lord, we pray that you would keep our eyes fixed on you. Point each of our lives, Lord, to where you want us to go and who you want us to be. Lord, when we wake up in the morning, may you put our feet on the floor so that we may go and serve you and your kingdom. Lord, keep us, keep our eyes focused, we pray. In your most holy name, amen.